sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Finally starting to see a little bit of daylight outside. Hey, welcome to the show. Eight minutes after the hour, I'm Ashley Frasca, your host of Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. You found us. We're here for you all the time. Here for you at least for the next two hours today and then uh, followed by the Home Fix-It show with that guy, Dave Baker, from 9 to noon. But excited to take your calls, 404-872-0750. The theme of the show today, kind of Georgia Arbor Day was yesterday, but there's certainly um, things to do over the weekend. Probably not as many as pre-COVID. You know, I mean, communities were a lot more engaged with uh, getting volunteers out and actually doing the plantings and things like that. So that probably has uh, been reeled back in just a little bit, but uh, certainly follow your local community on Facebook or check out their website or on Twitter or something like that if they're giving out seedlings or have video resources on planting trees and all of that kind of thing. And the the show is going to be repeated on wsbradio.com once everything's over this morning. Click on On Demand. You can listen back to Meredith Stone from Georgia Power. Some great tips on uh, kind of designating planting areas in your landscape and right tree, right place. And then uh, Walter Reeves had the Saturday off. So instead of Walter Wonders, we talked to Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission, also with some great tips about planting trees and things like that. And coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, I will be talking with Dr. David Coyle from Clemson University about an invasive species awareness week. That is coming up next week and how that's going to affect you and why you need to care. So, 404 We're going to go out to Powder Springs and say good morning to Diane. Hey, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. How's it going? What do you What do you need help with today? Uh, well, I was wondering if it was too late to trim uh, the crepe myrtles. I have about 20, and I was just wondering if it was already too late. And do you plan to do it yourself, or do you have a company that does well, it for you? Well, uh, there's a, a few um, on my driveway I could probably do, but some of the others that are very, very tall, taller than my house. And I was uh, inquiring on some people about that. Yeah, those are tricky. My goodness, those can get so large. And, Diane, I'll go ahead and tell you now, um, sometimes they don't even need to be pruned. But, yeah, when they're that big and maybe they're dropping debris into your gutters and on your roof and things like that, it's probably a good idea to prune them back. But just for folks to know, pruning a crepe myrtle is not necessarily going to make it bloom more or anything like that. So it's not necessary. If you don't feel the need to do it, then don't. But I actually had a really good conversation with a friend of the show, Norm Mitleider, a certified aesthetic pruner, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I've kind of kept his answers to my questions in the hopper for timely things this time of year. We talked about crepe myrtles. This is the time of year for that. So crepe myrtles don't even necessarily need to be pruned, um, right? Because they're going to bloom anyways. But what would be the reasons that we would need to cut them back? Sometimes they become too dense and it is good to thin them out. And typically at the base, you're wanting three or four main trunks. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have more than that, it's very congested and it's not as pleasing visually. So it would be nice that over time, you thin it down to three or four main trunks. 
And then as you develop the crepe myrtle taller, again, you're progressing and having more stems, but still at some point, thinning will be necessary to keep it open and airy to let light through. So thinning cuts are where we take out entire branches. How do we selectively pick? You know, and crepe myrtles are so tall. How do we selectively choose which ones to cut? You follow the progression or the line of the stem all the way up through the plant. You look at the canopy and you look to see if certain stems need to be there or if they're starting to grow into one another. It's the ones that are growing into one another that you can look at and determine, okay, I can take this one out and that'll open things up and allow this other one to fill in. So folks, just because the neighbor cut it that way or one of the landscapers in the neighborhood committed crepe murder doesn't mean that's the way you need to do your crepe myrtle. So Norm, thank you so much for the advice. We're going to make these trees a little prettier, aren't we? Absolutely, because they can become very beautiful trees. So, Diane, what do you think about that? To answer your question, you are not too late. Uh, Yeah, it doesn't answer my question. I just have a bunch uh, close to a neighbor's house that keeps uh, some of the limbs keep falling, you know, uh, leaning over. Mm -hmm. And um, I uh, was wondering about that. Um, You know, I I didn't want it to fall on my neighbor's yard or anything, you know, if they break. Yeah, you know, no, you're, with a storm. You're a good and neighbor. I have close to the house. Yeah, no, you're a good neighbor taking that into consideration. So, no, it is not too late. You're just fine. I hope you can find a good resource, um, you know, someone to cut those for you. Go to uh, georgiaarborist.org, I believe. I can't believe I never remember. Yeah, georgiaarborist.org if you need some help finding someone there out in, like, West Cobb. Um, When you go to georgiaarborist.org, I think you can type in your city or your zip code or something and find certified arborists right there uh, at the ready willing to help you if you haven't found a tree company that you're happy with. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That answers my question. Thank you. All right. I love that you called. That's a great question. Thank you so much. 404-872-0750. Now is the time for you to get in on Green and Growing, answering your calls. And here until 9 o'clock, up next is Dave and Tucker. Good morning, Dave. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Uh, Well, you do a lot of the research here, and if I remember correctly, we had an unusually early last frost last spring, and uh, Farmers Almanac says we'll have our last frost um, 31st of March, Mm -hmm. and traditionally it's well into April. Wondered uh, if you had done any research on that, and what is the forecast for uh, when those uh, frosts are going to leave us alone? Yes, that's that's a great question, and that's definitely something I'm in tune with, because really, you know, I talked about starting seed indoors um, throughout so much of the month of January, and we're really doing that right now. We're starting seed indoors for the vegetable crops and things that we want in the summertime, and you really start to do that based on counting backwards from when the last frost date's going to be because you need to give those seeds enough time to germinate and grow. And then after the chance of the last frost, you know, we're ready to pop those into the ground outside. So that's kind of the math behind that. I think like 45 to 60 days backwards 
from when the uh, predicted last frost is that you want to start those seeds so they have enough time to grow. So we research that. We look at that. The Farmer's Almanac is a great resource. But two more modern resources, David, that I kind of keep up with is Kirk Mellish's blog um, on WSBRadio.com. Now, he has not written one yet about that, but I know he will. Um, the latest blogs that he has on the website on WSBRadio.com are talking about we're going to continue this yo-yo pattern of, you know, we may have some spring-like weather coming up in the next week or so, but that's not to say that we're not going to have some crazy weather pattern where it's going to really drop down and get cold again in mid-March. But the second resource is um, the College of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences through the University of Georgia. They've got a great website, weather.uga.edu. Um, weather.uga.edu. And that's a website that a lot of gardeners use as a resource for soil temperatures, for air temperatures, precipitation levels, and things like that. But it's really cool when you go up to calculator at the top, you can look at the first frost date, the last frost date, you know, calculated from years previous. So really like looking back as far as 2010, let's say, always seems to be mid-March. There were a couple of years, though, 2013, 2015, where it was like one of the last days of March was the last frost date, even April 1st, two years ago. That's pretty late, too. So you just kind of never know when that swing in temperatures is going to happen. But those are two good resources. Kirk Mellish is going to be all over it. And also weather.uga.edu. You've probably been to that site, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's all the little weather centers that are set up. Um, you know, in different cities, and you can you can pick your city, so you can scroll from this long list, pick your city, or at least the, the weather center that's closest to your city, and kind of figure that out. And also, agriclimate—that's a good website too, agriclimate.org. They are kind of predicting much the same. I mean, probably the week of March twentieth, give or take, is going to be when we see that last frost. So, what are the first things you're looking to do when it warms up, David? I know you're going to be active out there. Uh, well, I'm going to take another shot at uh, melons, uh, pumpkins, uh, well, not pumpkins, but cantaloupe and watermelon. Oh, yeah. Do you, uh, do you get those, different those varieties are... or just st- stick with the standards? No, I'm going to go for quite a wide variety, kind of the shots fired concept that yeah. something's got to work <laughs> out. Well, good, good. I think then you're you're more than ready. At least you have a plan. That's kind of the first thing we need to do to make it a little less intimidating. At least know what you want to accomplish and then kind of go from there. Well, I can't wait to uh, to hear what you come up with next week. I hope you'll call back. Okie dokie. All right. Love to Thank hear you. from you. Thanks, David. I appreciate the call. All right. In just a few minutes, we'll talk to Scott calling from Michigan. I love this, man. We get callers from Michigan and Ohio and California and I have someone listening from Long Island, New York. So, uh, you know, some of what I say as far as timeliness and gardening may not be applicable to you if you're calling from uh, stretches much further north in the United States. But, hey, gardening is still something we can all enjoy. Universal. And I love it. And I'm hoping to get even more folks involved in it this coming spring. You know, a pandemic last year at this time really helped spike the interest in gardening. If anything good came out of that It was that people who had never gardened a day in their life were making a run on the nurseries and buying seed and buying more, you know, things to maintain their lawn and things like that. So I think that's probably going to be a good trend that we're left with when all of this is said and done. So we're going to take a break. We're going to check traffic and weather, and we'll be back with more of your calls. I'm Ashley Frasca. It's Green and Growing on WSB.
You want to know how to plan the weekend? It's going to be a beautiful weekend. Thank goodness. Brought to you by Finley Roofing. Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitt says today it's going to be sunny, but it's only going to warm up to about 50 degrees. So it's got a long ways to go. It's hovering around 30. Hopefully we'll get uh, 20 degrees warmer in about five hours when I need to be outside. And tomorrow, mostly sunny. The high is going to be a little bit more in the uh, mid-50s, and it'll dip below freezing again tonight, overnight into tomorrow. Chance of rain returns on Monday, but he's going to tell you a little bit more about that in less than 10 minutes in the newscast coming up with Robin Walensky at 730 right here on WSB. So can't wait to take your phone calls. 404-872-0750. Cooley in Oakwood. Hello. Good morning. This is Tony in Oakwood. Hi, Tony. Wow. I thought Cooley was a very strange name. Well, what can I do for you, Tony? I'm glad you called. (laughs) Well, I am sort of cool, and it is cool this morning, so that might be be how it is. Cool Tony. Uh, I like it. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I'm a certified sports field manager. We do a lot of work on athletic fields for folks around the area, schools and whatnot. But one of the things that we've learned over the years is when to put out the best time for pre-emerge. And the warm season grasses that many folks have in their home lawns, as well as their commercial applications and their uh, athletic field applications, which we're a part of, um, they really need to have that pre-emerge put out in the the uh, month of love, February. Mm-hmm. Between we typically do it between in this area between February the 14th and March the 1st, before that ground temperature starts warming up really good. Yeah, it's better to do it early than late, honestly, because it sits on that top inch of, you know, the soil layer for up to, what, six, eight weeks until it's activated, really. So better to put it out early to catch, you know, the early seeds that are germinating if we have a little warm spell or something like that. But then once you put it out too late, it's too late. The the seeds have germinated. The roots are already kind of starting to grow in those weed seeds. So it's going to be kind of a, a non-issue. It's not really going to impact them. So now up in Oakwood, so that's a little, you know, further northeast, you want to have it done by March 1st, you say? I, yes, anywhere between Atlanta and, the, say, the Tennessee line, you mm-hmm. want to have it done before March 1st. Anything below Atlanta, you need to back that up, um, maybe about to have it done by Valentine's Day. I always use it the uh, the, the heart month, like uh, February the 14th, mm-hmm. Valentine's Day is, show some love to my family and my wife and show some love to my my lawn by uh, keeping those weeds out of there. No kidding, man. And you'll love yourself for doing it because it makes your life a whole lot easier in the spring, right? It really does, Ashley. I really do enjoy your program. Uh, Do remind the folks, though, most pre-emerge require you to water them in. Mm -hmm. Yep, so, in, in order to be activated, you're absolutely right. That's correct. Yeah, at least within the first 24 to 48 hours is when you need a good soaking on that pre-emergent to work. Tony, man, I appreciate you so much and what you do. So anytime you want to call and uh, throw some knowledge my way, I am totally open to it. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day. I love that you get to work outdoors. I'm a little jealous. But yeah, spring pre-emergence, that's what we're doing. We're trying to prevent more grassy weeds like crabgrass, goosegrass, and all of that. Um, pre-emergence herbicides don't work as well on broadleaf weeds, but they certainly can be effective on some. So I am going to have a conversation with uh, Clint Waltz. You've heard him on the show before, turf grass specialist 
from the University of Georgia next Saturday. Everything you could ever want to know about pre-emergence herbicide. And he actually just recently gave a talk to folks in Rockdale County, and I was a part of that online as well. Just great information and something you may not have thought of, but you're really going to save yourself a lot of hassle if you kind of get into this good routine. So we'll be right back on Green and Growing. You're listening to WSB. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Halfway through the show, welcome to Green and Growing. I'm glad you are here on WSB. I have such a great time doing this show, and it's made much better by you. I'm glad when all of you call in. I know sometimes I have guests and sometimes I have interviews and things like that that we just have to do every week. But the best part of the show is when we're able to talk about what you want to talk about or things that you want to try. So 404-872-0750. Now, coming up at 8 o'clock, if you've got any bug questions, I want you to hold them. Um, Any you know, beetles or infestations or something that you see out in the landscape. Dr. David Coyle from Clemson University is going to be joining us. Uh, We're going to be talking about Invasive Species Awareness Week, which is next week. Um, But there's a lot going on, some free webinars and things like that. If you're interested in like the emerald ash borer or anything like that, some uh, fascinating bugs that have just wreaked havoc on uh, some of the landscapes in the in the forests here in the United States. So talk a little bit about that, but then, of course, take your questions as well. So we've got a really good one coming up here now. Scott calling from Michigan. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Atlanta. Thank you. Good morning, Ashley. I'd take that at 20 degrees you guys are going to get. How, yeah, I was going to say, what is it there, like eight? So, well, I have actually about 15. Ooh, ooh, yeah, you can keep it. <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's been below zero a lot. So, but you're thinking about gardening. I like where your head's at. We're ready for the cold to be over, right? Right, for sure. Well, so how can I I help you? I have a friend um, I met several years ago when he and I were both working in Atlanta, um, or Kansas City, and he had a stroke a couple years ago. Mm. He loves, he lives actually in Decatur Circle. I don't know how far that is from Atlanta, but I've been listening to the Atlanta station here for Oh, a couple months now. Yeah. In the morning, so he was doing really good. He couldn't talk at first, but now he can get around. He drives. Wow, that's great. He loves, he loves working in his yard, and he's worked so hard at getting himself back. But he's been the last few months. I can tell he's he's losing interest in his yard work, which he loves, and and I just wanted to find out to reach out. Is there any way? I know we have Habitat for Humanity up here for homes. Mm-hmm. And I had started, I used to have a landscape business in Texas and Kansas City many years ago. And before I became handicapped, I was doing, going out and helping elderly people or handicapped people um, clean up and small landscapes and whatnot. And is there any way I could reach out to someone that would turn me in the right direction to kind of help him? And um, I know he's been wanting to plant some trees and... Maybe take down one small tree by his house. Yeah. 
Yeah, like keeping in, keeping him engaged and keeping his interest up in that exactly. seems so important. Yeah, and I mean, the exercise is fantastic. I know sometimes if we're just weeding or putting a couple of things in a container, you don't break a sweat. It doesn't feel like you're really expending a lot of energy, but gardening is just one of the best ways to stay fit and to stay active. So exactly. I commend you for trying to stay on top of things and him too. Um, so I take it he's in Michigan as well. Is that right? No, he's, he's in Decatur Circle. Oh, oh, okay, because I already had the Master Gardener program pulled up from Michigan State University, but ah, forget that. So really, Scott, every state, they have an appointed university, you know, in the university system that is in charge of the Master Gardener program. I'm pretty sure all 50 states have it. Um, and the one here, you know, University of Georgia, I mean, it's one of the top notch out of all 50 states, the Master Gardener program that the extension puts on here. So I'll get him in touch with someone um, in the DeKalb County Master Gardener program. That would be my first thought, not, not necessarily programs specific to his needs of maybe like a therapy or something like that, but activities that he could do or classes he could become engaged in just to stay right. active. And then when you go through, you don't have to, you can participate in all these things and not really go through the master gardener courses to become a, a master gardener per se. But when you do that, you know, you are expected to, to attend so many of the courses and all that to become certified um, and participate in so many volunteer hours. So he definitely doesn't have to, you know, fully commit to all of that, but let me go ahead and take that down. And I'm going to have John get back with you on the phone here and get maybe an email address for you or for him and share with you um, some contact info from the DeKalb County Master Gardeners and see where we can point him in the right direction. Because, yeah, I mean, they're still doing so much virtually. You know, any of these classes that we usually used to do in person, um, they're all virtual and they're online, but there's still activities that are being done in person that he could, you know, slowly start to engage in for sure. Right. He's done really good at home doing his, his all of his programs that he's supposed to do, but he's just, it's, he loves being outside and there's a short, just a short time in the spring before it gets too hot. Mm -hmm. And um, he's just itching to go, but he just, he feels kind of lost. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and a lot of us are itching to go too. And also too, I was going to hold this for Mother's Day. Like I literally plan this show months in advance because I have so many great people reach out that, you know, want to contribute. But uh, I was going to hold it for Mother's Day and Father's Day, put together like a guide of like a gift guide idea um, and some of the items and the garden products that are thrown my way are for aging gardeners and to make it a little, you know, less onerous on their on their backs and their muscles and things like that, like garden benches and uh, tools that are a little easier to use for digging and things like that. So there is a whole market out there, too, that caters to folks that aren't, you know, 100 percent physically able to do everything they want to do. Um, so I might bump that up, though. May is just a long, long time away. Um, so that would be helpful for someone like your friend to at least know that there are products out there that can make gardening a little, a little easier. Um, so Scott, thank you so much. I know you've talked to John and we've gotten your contact information. So great question. And I'm really glad you're looking out for your friend. Call back and let me know how it goes once we kind of circle around and, and, and get the contact info. I want to hear from him too. If he's not too shy, he could certainly call the show. He's more than welcome to. Thank you so much. Up next is Claire calling from Lawrenceville. Hey, welcome to Green and Growing. Hey, Claire, are you there? Claire's there, kind of. Okay, Claire, I'm going to put you on hold because we can't hear you. Um, so you come right back. Up next then is Anne in Atlanta. Hey, Anne, good morning. 
Good morning, Ashley. What's going on with you today? Well, to my son is going to give me some Indian hawthorns, and they're over 10 years old. And I want to transplant it from his yard to my yard. Is this a good time to do that? Or how would I care for them? What would I need to do? Yeah, this is a great time to do it because um, <laughs> the roots aren't going to be stressed out with this weather. So it's a good time for them to kind of settle into their new environment. Um, and when you dig those bushes out, you can do a little bit of pruning right now just to kind of make the size <laughs> more manageable so that you can get in there and not start breaking limbs and things. Um, But, you know, dig real wide around those bushes, each one, to make sure you get as much of the root ball as you can. Okay. And what about fertilizer? When do I need to fertilize them since I'm uh, going to replant them in my yard? You know, fertilization (laughs) kind of invigorates growth, and we don't want to do that right now just because it's going to put too much stress on it. Mm -hmm. So give it a couple of months to establish and really settle in. And then when they're actively growing, they've bounced back, they're doing okay, that would be a good time to just apply like a 10-10-10 fertilizer or something. And also, have you had Indian hawthorn before? Uh, no, he has. He's got them in front of his house, and he's had them for 10 years, and they're beautiful. And I don't want to kill them, but I put them in my yard. Yeah, and okay. they've got really pretty um, white flowers and things on right. them, too. But beware mm-hmm. of some of the diseases, too, Anne, because um, I had to rip mine out when we first... Oh, bought the home that okay. we're in 10 years ago. Leaf spot is a really common one that's caused by a fungus. So when you're when you're trying to prevent fung- fungi in bushes and plants mm-hmm. and things like that, one of the easiest things you can do to even prevent it from happening, because I'm, I'm not all about chemicals unless we just get to that point. Okay. But when you're planting them, you want good airflow. So make sure you space them properly and they're not all crammed okay. on top of one another. Because when the when the airflow is good, it also keeps pests away, but it lets them dry out, you know, and... and I mean, fungi want that kind of wet environment to really get going. So if you've got good airflow and things, that's going to be one of your first okay. top preventative measures for that. But just kind of be on the lookout. You'll definitely know it when you see it. That leaf spot gets to be so ugly, like in summertime. Um, okay, and some man. discoloration on the leaves is is not uncommon. But just a heads up. I just want to warn you because I don't want you to lose them. You're spending a lot of time with them. So I want to <laughs> okay. make sure. Yeah, but transplant them now. It's a great time. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're All welcome. Right. Thanks. Call anytime, and Good to hear from you. 404-872-0750 is the number on Green and Growing right here, 745 on your Saturday morning. DJ Indicator, is it you? Uh, yes, ma'am. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Had a question about the chemical formula. Uh-huh. Uh, the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash. Uh-huh. What is the phosphorus for? I know the nitrogen is for greener leaves and vegetation and the uh, potash is for strength of the roots, right? So a good way that Walter and and many gardeners, they're screaming at the radio right now, a good way that they've always said it is up, down, and all around. So nitrogen being that first number, nitrogen is helping the plant grow up, right? Mm -hmm. And then the, the second number, the phosphorus, is helping more of the roots and things like that. And then potassium the last one is the all around kind of helping flowering, you know, if it's something that does flower and that kind of thing. So always with all three of those though, I mean, you know, it's best to know your soil and know what contents it already has. That way you're not giving it too much of one of those things. Um, but nitrogen typically, if that's high in any fertilizer, you know, that's, that's okay. Yeah. But if you're going to a rose bush show and you wanted the roses to pop, you would want something with more Nitrogen first, right? The, the leaves greener. 
well, if you want bigger, if you want bigger peaches, you would want more nitrogen. Is that correct? I guess so because I, I, now I'm guessing at that. I'll admit that I don't know that for sure. But oh, nitrogen, okay. yep. yeah, is going to help the plant's growth above ground. And so the more leaves it puts on, the healthier it is, the greener it is, is going to be better for the overall health and sustainability of the plant. So I would imagine that's probably number one. Mm-hmm. Well, then the environmentalists are saying that we shouldn't use phosphorus, the middle number. Oh, you know. A lot of, lot of the detergents that we use with washing clothes, they say we have no phosphorus. Hmm. I'm going to look into that because I don't really keep That's up okay. a lot with what uh, with what they say. I mean, I try to look at, like, official publications and things like that. But interesting. I don't know. So what well, are you, you know, specifically looking to fertilize or what plants are you wondering about? Roses? Oh, no. I was just listening to your show and I just happened to. I think I talked to Walter about this maybe three years ago. And that and, guy, he's got a chemistry background. Yeah, so. yeah, I know. He was, he was happy that I brought up chemistry to him. No kidding. He loves it. Yeah. I majored in broadcast news, so I am no it's scientist. Okay. But no, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and if anybody knows, call in and let DJ and I know, because I would be curious. Uh, 404-872-0750. But yeah, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Um, are really the three ingredients there in fertilizers. And they have some other things too, but you know, that's when you need that soil test to see magnesium in the soil and uh, sodium chloride, all these other things. You know, people want to add Epsom salts to the soil and all that kind of stuff, but you really just need to know what you're dealing with before you just go willy nilly throwing out a fertilizer. Well, DJ, always good to hear from you. I appreciate the call, man. We're going to try Claire again in Lawrenceville, Melvin and Austell and Lottie and Conyers, and hopefully you. You can dial in 404. 404- 8720750 it's green and growing on WSB few minutes left in the seven o'clock hour and then we're going to talk to my guest dr david coyle from clemson university about bugs species and bugs and things like that so if you have those questions give us a call 404-872-0750 quickly updating the weather that's sponsored by finley roofing before we get back to your calls sunny day today no chance of rain it's turning out to be quite nice i have to turn around to look outside uh 50 degrees that's the high though it's going to get down below freezing overnight and then a high of 56 57 tomorrow most places in metro atlanta again a mostly sunny day but then the rain chance returns on monday boo all right we've got some great calls we had one about garlic that i really wanted to tackle maybe i'll talk about that uh, a little later because she dropped off okay where am i going here i wanted to talk to keeping the deer out of the plants lottie and conyers hey good morning hey how you doing Ashley? oh so the deer are pretty but you don't want them do you oh they're not pretty to me because they <laughs> eat up everything i what is there anything i can get to spray around or put around so they'll stop eating the blooms off of my everything as soon as it blooms they come at night and bite all the blooms off they do and do you have any fencing in the yard no. Okay, because even, yeah, fencing too, like, my goodness, I think they can jump an eight-foot fence just about, so you'd almost have to have a fortress around your landscape to really keep them out. Um, these are two products I have not used, Lottie, so I can't speak firsthand for them, but Deer Scram is one. Deer what? Deer Scram, S-C-R-A-M, like scram, beat it. Um, that's a, oh, that's okay. a repellent, like a granular repellent. Right. Um, and also Deer Away is another one that I've heard Walter talk about. Deer Away. Um. And I've had success keeping the rabbits and deer away with melorganite. Now, melorganite's a slow-release fertilizer, 
Um, right. It's manufactured kind of up in the Midwest, and it's kind of like a sewage base. I don't know exactly right. how they I, manufacture it. Yeah, so Malorganite, it's got that smell, that human right. smell to it, and they don't like that. And, and you're kind of, you know, benefiting the plants at the same time by sprinkling some fertilizer. You don't want to overdo it. Um, And then just really considering a landscape like lilies or things like that, that they're not holly, that they're not going to um, bother with. I know that may mean giving up some of the plants that you really like, um, but, you know, kind of being proactive and thinking, okay, well, there's there's lists from the University of Georgia and on Walter's website of deer resistant plants and nothing's guaranteed but ones that they just don't prefer. They don't prefer things with like textured leaves and things like that. So next time you're in the nursery, kind of maybe mix up what you're looking at to put out in the landscape too. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope that's at least a good start. And, you know, if some of the plants that you just really, really love, um, if you could plant those in containers and have it such that you can move the containers, of course you don't want to do it every night. But having those beautiful gardenias or something like that in a pot that you can enjoy maybe closer to the house, on a deck, on a balcony, on a patio, um, and that way you still get the joy and the beauty of those, but they're closer to the house, which means less likely the the deer are going to mess with them. Um, And two, when in the fall, I guess this is more of a common behavior, when the, the buck, the male deer, rubs his antlers on trees and can just completely rub off the bark, too. So there are great products for that, like corrugated tree guards and plastic wrap and even PVC piping, I think people have used to protect newer trees that uh, maybe the, the trunk is a little bit smaller, keep the deer from just completely destroying the bark on those. That's something to think about if you're Uh, planting a new tree. You definitely don't want all your efforts ruined there. All right, more calls and Dr. David Coyle to talk about bugs coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. It's Green and Growing on WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.